1: Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting doctors Robert Jensen and Wes Jackson, co-authors of An Inconvenient Apocalypse, Environmental Collapse, Climate Crisis, and the Fate of Humanity. And I'm speaking with Robert and Wes at their homes by remote connection. Welcome, Robert. Welcome, Wes, to the New Dimensions Cafe. Great to be here. Great to have you both. There was another title that you had suggested to your publisher, but the publisher didn't go with it. It's the old future is gone. Can you speak to that?
2: Yeah, that's the name of a song, a line from a song by John Gorka that reminds us that the future we've been told we could imagine, a future of endless bounty and, and endless expansion, is simply no longer feasible. So that future, the future we imagined is over. And we have to think about a new future. And that's what John was writing about.
1: And I know that what we know as humans is really downpowering right now. We're in a time of limits. And this is very hard for us to think of ourselves. We've been in such an expansion mode and even our economics are based on no limits at all. So when we talk about limiting ourselves, what advice do you have about how we can go about holding a new future for ourselves as a collective?
2: Well, we we quote the, the writer Wallace Stegner, who has a beautiful phrase. He talks about the things that once possessed can't be done without. And that's a reminder that all of us, uh, once we get used to certain kinds of technology, let's say dependent on high energy, we start to think we can't live without those. And you know, we are going to live in a world without some of those things. And Wes has direct experience as a a child of the Great Depression of what that means. And so I think we're looking back to how people lived with less and recognizing the future is going to be marked by living with less. And then trying to understand how we can get there without simply relying on people to do the right thing. Because as Wes has been pointing out for a long time, it's not enough just to be moral or to be virtuous. We have to live in a world that doesn't require us always to be morally virtuous, but it's built into the way we live.
1: Wes, anything?
3: The world is more beautiful than useful. Somebody said that. It was Henry David Thoreau. That was Thoreau. Yeah, the world is more beautiful than useful and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Would that be true even following nuclear holocaust? And I think maybe it will. However, there's something about beauty that serves as an invitation to want more of it, not less. That once you get a connection to the beauties of the earth, the beauties of, well, just a single leaf on a branch, or even grass growing up in the sidewalk, or some tiny ants that are skittering across. You understand that here you have something that's related to you and carries with it a world of unconsciousness that It could have been otherwise not beautiful. But how is it that so much of the world continues to be beautiful in spite of the degradation that we impose on it here and there? I'm not a religious person, certainly in the usual sense, but there is something about our creator earth that just can't seem to do it any other way, except with high measures of beauty and intrigue. And how is that, that that came to be? Was that too selected in a Darwinian sense? Well, if so, let's have more of that. But what it requires of people is to begin to think About something. I'll give an example. When I first began to learn the plants, there were plants that I had never seen. But once I saw one and a name given to it, I began to see that plant everywhere. There's something about the mind opening up once you begin to give something even a small piece of attention. And I think that that is a big replacement in the minds of almost everybody for Walmart (laughs) and for everything else that seems to invite our consumerism. Why go somewhere when it's just going to be boring along with expensive And this other doesn't cost a thing. It simply requires some attention. I know people, not many, but know the sound of every bird that they hear, and they know it immediately and can tell you what it is. Now you say, well, so what? Big deal. What's it good for? And I want to say, well, what good are you? But I don't. <laughs> uh the, that that would not be a proper thing to do. But you see, this is the world that is now maybe about to unfold. Think about what has happened in the last ten thousand years. We have, and especially in the last 300, we now have, in a way, a new heaven. It's a very different heaven than the heaven that we have out of genesis and we were promised a new heaven and a new earth and we're getting the the astrophysicists and various scientists we know of our origins now and there's no other species so far as we can tell has that but we haven't learned to live with that new awareness we simply call the discovery and that's something that we know and then we end up kind of taking it for granted yeah oh well uh uh-huh no now that which our ancestors were making up stories for explanation that that was fine they were doing the best they could but now we have verifiable knowledge of a lot since the big bang I just love the uh, the great, great quote of George Wald, we living things are the late outgrowth of the metabolism of our galaxy. Think of that. The carbon that's so important in our bodies was cooked in the remote past of a dying star. We now know that. From it at lower temperatures came nitrogen and oxygen, and these indispensable elements were spewed out into space to mix and form planets, and eventually we ourselves. The ancient seas set the pattern of ions in our blood, and the ancient atmospheres molded our metabolism. That is a short story of our story. That's our history. We know that. And knowing that makes a difference when we look at a leaf and we think of that leaf making sugar and knowing that eight and a half minutes ago it left the surface of the sun. Some particles left the surface of our sun and arrived at a leaf and started making sugar. For us Now, how wonderful is that? And if we could just understand the most elementary part of us, I mean, it's something that I've been telling everybody around here that when I see an ant or a grasshopper or something that may have just bit them and is making them itch during the night, It has the same citric acid cycle that we do and the same as the hippopotamus (laughs) and the same as a redwood. I mean, this oneness of the creation should be the inspiring. (laughs) You don't don't stand around and create a sense of oughtness. You engage in it. (laughs) You see, The thing is, it's availability. It's free. It's free. So the whale of the deep and the ant on the sidewalk and me, all one.
1: Well, that takes me to a poem that, Robert, you brought up in your introduction to the book that Wes wrote called Hogs Are Up. It was a Mary Oliver poem, and I'd love for you to comment on it. Pay attention, be astonished, tell about it.
2: Well, that's sort of a description of Wes Jackson. You know, I started reading Wes's work long before I ever met him, and it's been a real honor to work with him. But Wes pays attention. You know, we've heard that in this interview. He is constantly astonished. Wes is 86 and will sometimes call me with the excitement of a teenager about something he's just seen or learned in his backyard. And of course, Wes is a consummate storyteller. So, you know, Mary Oliver is much beloved for her ability to capture not only the beauty of the natural world, but the human joy in engaging with it. And that's how I would describe Wes as someone who understands that beauty and gets endless pleasure out of engaging with it. My favorite part of an inconvenient apocalypse perhaps is based on a phone call I got from Wes once where he was out and he said, why is this not enough? You know, why do we need, you know, cruise ships and Las Vegas when we have the beauty of the world around us? You know, I'm not a farm kid. I'm a city kid. I've had to learn what Wes grew up with. And I think, you know, it's not going to change politics or economics to engage the beauty of the world that way. But it is part of the way that we change economics and politics. And I've learned that from Wes. And I'm feeling the emotion just saying that, how beautiful it is and also how tragic it is that so much of the world simply either cannot or will not engage that way. And so our book and those books are an attempt to not preach at people about how to be, but to testify that we have found meaning in the world this way. And it's it's been a great joy in my life to do so.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. And I just encourage our listeners to pick up the book, An Inconvenient Apocalypse by Wes Jackson and Robert Jensen. Do not be afraid of it. Really let it change and expand your view into the possibilities of the future for all of us. So thank you so much. I've been speaking with Drs. Robert Jensen and Wes Jackson, co-authors of An Inconvenient Apocalypse, Environmental Collapse, Climate Change, and the Fate of Humanity. And to find out more about their work, you can go to their websites. For Wes Jackson, go to landinstitute.org. LandInstitute.org, and for robert go to robert w jensen spelled j-e-n-s-e-n.org robert jensen.org or you can get there through the new dimensions website newdimensions.org where you'll find over 1700 programs in our program archive i'm justine willis toms i want to thank you for joining us at the new dimensions cafe and i invite you please do join us again